The following is a rebroadcast of Stratford University's Tech Talk. To hear Tech Talk live, tune in Saturday mornings at 9. You can find us on the radio on 1500 AM, 104.5 FM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and 107.7 FM HD2. Or you can listen live online at federalnewsnetwork.com. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And as, as always, a busy week in technology. Facebook has a, uh, a big privacy lawsuit settlement for $650 million. So if you're living in the state of Illinois, you may be able to cash in on that. Windows celebrates its 35th anniversary. And we'll talk about the, uh, you know, the progress that Windows made over the years. The top skills of the future really require adaptability and critical thinking. I'll talk about how the landscape is changing in the job market because of machine learning. And, of course, you've got Parler, that conservative Twitter clone is out there trying to level the playing field in social media. And Apple, Silicon, has arrived. The new MacBooks have their own silicon chips. Apple has dumped Intel for the CPU in the new Macs. This week, we're going to feature the man who started the Khan Academy, Salman Khan. It's a very interesting story how he started that. I wanted to feature that Khan Academy because this is a great resource for you parents that got your kids studying at home. It's a tremendous resource for online learning, and the kids are engaged with it. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from Bob in Maryland, one of our long-term listeners. Dear Doc and Jim and the elusive Mr. Big Voice. Oh, he's right I here. I was surfing around the, wave at, uh, around the web and stumbled on this little piece of information about Google's decline. Is this really true? What do you think, Doc? Is Google really in decline? Love Tech Talk and all the best to you. All the best to you and, uh, and uh, Jim, your loyal fan, Bob in Maryland. Well, um, Google search is in decline, but Google as a company is still doing quite well. Their, avenue, their advertising revenues are up. But Google search has been declining, um, you know, for about a year. And uh, this actually the downward trend started a few years ago. Now, the core issue is the web as we originally knew it is changing and it's, it's a different place than it was, say, five years ago. And this decline is, is bad for Google because they make their money on people that search the web. Now, what Google did, they, they actually modified their search engine so they would put the new material up on top, the freshest material on top. But the problem is that the, the web is generating more new material at a slower and slower rate. And, um, and so that particular method of indexing hasn't worked well. There's also another problem for Google, that there are a lot of big vertical silos in Google, like in, in, uh, in the web. 
say like Amazon. So instead of, if you want to get a pair of shoes and instead of searching the web for shoes, people just go straight to Amazon and search for shoes. And then Google does not get a piece of that action. And it used to be people just did general searches when they were looking for things. You've got other, um, other silos like Facebook. Facebook keeps all the, all the advertising is contained within Facebook. You've got here Twitter. You've got Netflix, Spotify, Shopify, and Craigslist and eBay. These are all siloed ecosystems, and that's pulling the general search out of the Internet and putting it more to these specific platforms, and that's bad for Google. Or I'll say if somebody's looking for a car, they'll go to CarGurus or Carvana, or if they want online housing, they'll go to Zillow. So all of these things have changed the way searches are done, and that's bad for Google's search volume. So yeah, there is a decline there. But their ad revenue is still holding steady because Google tracks you wherever you go. They've got the best tracking capacity there. They track people around the web. They deliver ads to them. So they've still managed to maintain their ad revenue, but their search volume, which was their, their originally their core business, is in fact down. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Good morning, Dr. Schertz. I was, I was recently reminded of your August 15th profile in IT of Frances Elizabeth Allen. You mentioned that her early experience at IBM with Fortran left her with a lasting impression that we needed a very efficient Fortran compiler. Now, I had a friend who was just watching uh, watching some YouTube videos, and and there was one uh, there was an interview with Dr. Ricarda Beckman, and, and she's an astrophysicist, and she said she prefers Python for quick coding, but if they have to run some major simulations, they still go back to Fortran. What what do you think about all that? Well, uh, Susan, you are right. There are differences in programming languages. Python. It's kind of a general purpose language. It's a high level language. It was written to be very uh, quick for developers. You don't, you, you, you write fewer commands in Python to get something done. So it's very high level. And so for developers, particularly if you're doing, if you're analyzing data uh, and if you are doing things such as that, um, Python, you can just write your Python code and get and get the program up and running quickly. Now, the problem with Python, because it's such a high-level program, it's it's slow, because it's, it does a, it does a lot of the back-end stuff for you, and so it's a slow program. And so if you've got something like a simulation, something that really needs to be fast, you're going to want to use a compiled program that's very efficient, and so you would want to use Fortran if it's formulas, or you might want to use C++ or C, those programs compile, they run really fast. So the trade-off here, a lot of people, they might have a subroutine within Python where you've got a lot of number crunching. You might have a subroutine written in Fortran or C++ or C, C++ or C, and then you can do the Python for the general, general development. But at this point, because computers have become so fast, Python has just taken off. And the companies that do development work uh, realize that the, the biggest cost in software development is labor. And if you can cut down on the labor and develop an application, 
you're saving big bucks. And so companies have shifted over to Python because they can roll out new applications faster and faster with less labor. And now because computer processing time is so cheap, they don't care that it's actually slower. We got an, that was a very good observation. I like that email. We got, a, we got an email from Dave in Everest, Washington. Hello, Doc and Jim. I have a fortune in DVDs, DVD movies sitting on a dusty shelf. I'd like to copy these movies, many of them are my favorites, to my Windows 10 PC for my own personal use. Now, each of these DVDs is some sort of copy protect. Is there an easy program that will legally copy these movies, which I've already paid for? In addition, when I save them to the PC, what format do you recommend? I am a big podcast fan, but... I don't listen live because 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time is too early on the West Coast. Uh, yeah, it Sincerely. is. Yeah. I, 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 he's, got, he's got a good point there, don't you think, Jim? Uh, on Saturday morning, it is too early. Although, yeah. that's about that would be 6 o'clock their time. That's what time I get up on Saturday that's mornings. That's right. Yeah. So, so here's the thing, um, Dave. They, there is copy protection on the DVDs, but since you own the DVDs, you are within your right to copy them. Uh, what you do not have the right to do is to copy them and then give away those copies yeah. or recirculate the copies. But if you're just doing it for yourself, there's absolutely nothing illegal with it. You're totally within your rights. And um, so I'm going to give you how to break the copy protection on the DVDs. But the warning is only do this if you own the DVD. Mm -hmm. Now, you want to copy the file using a program that's really good called Handbrake. Handbrake. You can download that from GitHub, GitHub.com. That's the um, that's the um, that's the software development website, GitHub. It's currently it's actually owned by Microsoft now. So you want to go to GitHub, download Handbrake. I'll have a, a link to this in my uh, in in the show outline that I'm going to post on Monday. Now, a, as you would expect, as Handbrake is released, it will not copy a uh, copy-protected DVD. Because if they would release the software and it was fully configured to copy copy-protected DVDs, um, the company could be sued for the, having that software. So they've released Handbrake without the capacity to do that. Now, whenever they copy-protect a DVD, they basically encrypt the file. So, uh, and then you, you, you have, need a key to, to, to even read the data. So what you have to do is you have to get now a, a, another a program that will de-encrypt it. Now, what they did with Handbrake that was very clever, they wrote it so that if you provide a particular file, uh, what they call a dynamic load library, a DLL file, and you put that DLL file in the subdirectory where the Handbrake files are stored, it will automatically detect it. And it will use that DLL to do the de-encryption and break the copyright. So it, it shows up without being able to do any copy protection, uh, you know, reading copy-protected DVDs. But you can add a file that will make it so that it works seamlessly. Now, the file that you want to add is libdvdcss.dll. Now... That DLL file is you can you can get that from videoland.org. I'm going to have the 
Actually, you, you, you can search for libdvdcss.dll. You can search for that, and uh, you can download it from Video Land. So what you do, you can either get a 32-bit operating system, a 32-bit uh, DLL, or a 64-bit DLL. So it depends on whether you're whether you're whether you're running 32-bit or 64-bit on your on your operating system, which you can just look up on your operating system. So you download that particular file, dynamic load library file, and then put it in the subdirectory there of Handbrake. Now at that point, you simply Put your DVD in the in the DVD player, either an external one if, or just right in your computer itself directly, and it will detect it. And then you can select it. It actually outputs it into like it actually has four video formats. Now, since you're running Windows, I'd recommend you use the uh, use the uh, MP4 format. The MP4 format. That's 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 sort of the the generic open source format for all videos. If 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 you had a uh, if you're running on a Macintosh, for instance, you'd do the MOV format because that's that's the format that that was designed for QuickTime Player. But in your case, you're going to want the MP4. Now you've got a lot of choices on on what what sort of resolution to save it at. Uh, since it's a DVD in the U.S., I would pick 480p, 480 Progressive. If, if you got a European DVD, I'd do a 576 progressive in terms of resolution. If you pick higher resolution that, than that, the movie won't look any better. The file will just be bigger. And the file transfer should take 10 to 20 minutes. So it's very easily done. Handbrake, load in that special DLL, and you are good to go. We got an email from Janet Murphy. Dear, do, dear Dr. Richard and Jim Russ. I've got an iPhone and I take lots of photos, a few of which I actually want to keep. I've got iCloud turned on, and when the uh, iPhone uh, is charging or when I'm at home, all the photos go to the cloud. On the computer, I can see the photos because I've installed uh, iCloud for Windows on my computer. I can see all these, uh, and uh, but... What I'd like to do, I'd like to be able to edit the uh, the iPhone folder, the uh, the, I, the iCloud pictures using my PC, and because it's easier to see the pictures, I'd like to del delete the bad ones and keep the good ones. So the question is, if I do that deletion on the uh, on my PC, will that actually delete the photos in the iCloud uh, on the iCloud server, and will it delete the photos on the other? On the other devices that are that are synced up with iCloud, I mean Janet Murphy. Now that's actually a lot of people are confused about how iCloud works. Yeah, so, that's a good so question. So let me kind of explain it. iCloud is Apple's cloud-based storage facility. It allows you to store files remotely and access them on a variety of devices using Wi-Fi. Now, so if you've got an iPhone, an iPad, or you've got iCloud for the PC. When you take a picture with your iPhone, and if you've got iCloud sync syncing turned on, and if these other devices have iCloud syncing turned on, all those photos show up on the other machine. And then on the Apple devices, if you delete a photo on your iPhone or your iPad or a Mac, you delete a photo, it will delete the photo from 
the central server, the iCloud server, and it'll be gone from everywhere. On the other hand, Apple did not give that functionality to the uh, iCloud application that runs in Windows. Windows, the iCloud has two subdirectories. One is called download, one is called upload. So all of the uh, photos that are downloaded from the iCloud server go into the download folder on, that, on, the, on the iCloud for Windows. If you want to upload a file to the iCloud from Windows, you put it in the upload folder. So if you delete a file, if you delete a file from uh, your Windows PC, a file which is now in, actually in the download folder because it's synced with the thing, it will delete on the Windows machine, but it will not be deleted in the iCloud server, and it will not be deleted in any of the other machines. So if, for instance, in one of the other computers, you would edit that photo, it would just, it would be downloaded again to your Windows PC. So you really can't use your Windows PC to, you know, to call through uh, your, all your iCloud, um, all your iCloud pictures. There is one thing that you can do from your PC. You could log into the iCloud website. So you go to iCloud.com, you log into that website just using a regular browser, and you can actually edit the photos in that website. And any, any photo that you delete on the, at iCloud.com will be deleted on all the attached devices. So that's the only way you can do that editing from your PC. That was a great question. A lot of people yeah. are confused about that. Yes. We got an email from Claire in Madison. Dear Tech Talk, I've got family members. Uh, I've got family members who use who, who who like to put on funny all kinds of funny filters whenever they do the Zoom calls, like for you know Thanksgiving or birthdays. They might put on funny hair. You they might have you can have Howard Stern hair. You could have a cat on your head. <laughs> You could look like an alien, green like an alien. I mean, it's, that's not really a good thing to do for a business meeting. No. But for, a, but for you know, with family and friends, it's kind of fun. How, but you know, how in the world do they do that? I'd like to start trying that out. People have Claire, done worse Madison, than that. Wisconsin. People have done worse than that in some Zoom calls. Uh, yes, they, they have. <laughs> <laughs> They've gotten fired. Exactly. <laughs> now, the, now, your best option, Claire is to use the Snap Camera application. Snap Camera. Snap Camera, you can download it uh, in, to, a, to, an, uh, to a Windows PC, or you can download it to Macintosh. Now, you, you basically download Snap Camera. Now, your, your, your computer has to run OpenGL 4.1. That's open graphics language. It's like an open source graphics language engine. And it has to be, it has to be able to use at open so open gl 4.1 or newer in order for it to work and then what you do once you install it then you can simply open up the snap camera and you can pick a filter like you could pick howard stern hair or you could pick cat on your head whatever you want to do and then when you open up your zoom call you go to the little video icon and click on the the that the the, uh, the drop down menu beside it and you can pick the camera so you might have the, the front-facing camera is one choice, 
But then you also have snap camera listed as another camera. So pick snap camera. And as soon as you do that, the snap camera will turn on and whatever filter you've selected when you open up the snap app will show there. Now, there is one of these filters that I use for Zoom calls. So some mornings, because uh, I'll have an early morning Zoom call for business. Some mornings I'll be out fishing early morning. And, I, and what, the one morning in particular I came in, I had a Zoom call like in five minutes. I didn't have a chance to shave. It turns out that Snap Camera has a clean shaven look, filter. <laughs> so I just put on the clean shaven filter. And even though I hadn't shaved that morning, it looked like I just had a fresh shave. So that <laughs> is a filter that you can use at a business meeting. So I do kind of like Snap Camera. It's, it's fun to do some of the, um, you, you can have like a towel on your head. You can, you can have kind of a movie star looking, put on sunglasses. It's, it's fun. I would pick the, none of the above. But the clean shaven looks the only one you can use for business as far as I'm concerned. So listen, we love, love, we love indeed. your emails. We do. Uh, you can email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and southwest of Washington now. You can hear us on 1077 FM HD 2 in Loudoun County. The best way to hear us is at 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. It's Tech Talk Radio, IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Salman Khan. Salman Khan is an American educator best known as founder of the Khan Academy, a free online educational platform. Salman Khan was born October 11th, 1976 in Materi, Louisiana. He's the son of immigrants from India, from the part of India that is now Bangladesh. He attended 
public school at Grace King High School. And while he was in school, he worked as a high school cartoonist. I mean, I can see, I, I looked at some of his tutorials. He's pretty good at sketching out these math figures. So I think that cartooning experience did help him with his, uh, with his blackboard skills. Now, Khan took upper-level mathematics courses at the University of New Orleans while he was still in school, and he graduated from high school valedictorian. He double-majored at MIT. He, got, uh, he double-majored in math and in electrical engineering. So he got a double major in those two disciplines, and uh, also computer science in 1998. He received a master's of science in electrical engineering and computer science from MIT in 2001. Then he figured out, well, I'm on a roll. So then he just <laughs> walked down the street and enrolled at Harvard. Why and not? he got an MBA from Harvard in 2003. Nothing better to do. Yeah, nothing better to do. He's up there, might as well. Might as well take care of all those uh, schools that are in the area. <laughs> While at MIT, he was president of a senior class, and he, he did volunteer teaching at Brookline, uh, which was a school for talented children. And he also worked on developing software to teach children who suffered from ADHD. Now, after he got out of school, after he got his master's degree, he briefly worked as a technical architect at Cienth Corporation and as a senior project manager for Oracle Corporation. And then he, um, he basically then got, uh, got a job with a startup. He was one of the initial employees at MWC Venture Capital. Now, that was a hedge fund. And uh, so he was, uh, and he, was, he was there until 2008 when the hedge, fudge, hedge fund shut down because of the financial meltdown. Apparently, all their hedges went the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> right. But he did manage to uh, to get a million dollars out of the deal when they shut down. So he he did get at least something payout for all of his time. He used that million dollars to buy a house and uh, and and put some money in reserve so he could actually operate. Now, while he was at the hedge fund, this was back in the summer of two thousand and four. His, uh, he had a cousin who was in the seventh grade named Nadia. She lived in New Orleans, and she was having trouble in her math class doing conversions from pounds to kilograms. She was having trouble with unit conversions. Yeah, I would too. So, yeah, you, you have that problem too, <laughs> yeah. Jim? I have this thing called military finder that helps me convert from knots to, to miles per hour. Because of weather, one of the weather websites I use is Aviation, and it has the um, uh, the speed, wind speed, and knots. Okay, so then you've got a. It, it it's, is it's nice a to have these automatic conversions, but in the seventh grade, no calculators. You had to actually right. do it yourself. Yes. So he started tutoring her remotely. First of all, he he called her up on the phone, and then he then he had and he started and and it went. I mean, he did the unit conversion, and then he started helping her with that. He just started helping her with more and more and more math. And, and because some of the math problems, he had to sort of show, draw a picture. He, he used, some, he used a, uh, a shared notepad. It's a notepad that you could share the screen with somebody remotely. He used Yoodle, Yahoo Doodle. Yahoo Doodle. <laughs> it was a shared notepad. And so he would, like, talk to Nadia, and he'd draw pictures and graphs on, on the notepad, and she could see what was going on. Then he started working with her brothers, Ollie and Armin. 
And um, so then what, what happened was um, they, um, they started, they, they, he was having trouble scheduling their scheduling time and all. So then he started, he started recording the, the videos, his, his lessons on YouTube for them. And, uh, and so he, and so he started, he recorded his lessons on YouTube and they could up, he uploaded them to YouTube and then, then the kids could just go to YouTube and watch it. And now he enjoyed talking to his, uh, you know, to his cousins on the phone and teaching them directly. And they came back to him and they said, you know, Solomon, actually we like YouTube better than you in person. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. They said nice. because because when you're on YouTube, like if, like if I want to go into the kitchen and make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I can just turn off the YouTube video, go make my sandwich, have a break, and come back and turn it on again. Are they trying when to I'm, say that Solomon talks a lot? I'm on the phone with you. I've got to stay there because I I don't want you to wait for me to make my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So they like this on demand learning whenever. They, they would turn it on whenever they want. And then if it was something they didn't understand, they could play it back again. Are they so, saying that Salman talked a lot? Yeah. Well, no, he wasn't a big talker, but uh, but they didn't want to waste his time. Ah. You, you know, because he was, he was he's a big guy, big guy in the family. So they, they felt the pressure that they, they had to really— and then, and then they were kind of afraid to say if they didn't get it, then they, they, they hated to go back and say, hey, would you give me that same lesson again? I didn't understand yeah. it. But if it's on YouTube, they just watch it again. So he sort of accidentally discovered the power of online lessons. And so he, he loaded these up to YouTube, and then pretty soon more relatives discovered this math tutor deal. And they asked for his help, and more. And so, pretty soon, he the, the whole extended family. He was tutoring the entire extended family in math, and um, and he started, um, you know, and he uh, and so he created a he created a his own YouTube channel for his family, and he just uploaded all the videos. Now, because of uh, you, you need to have you know practice problems. You know, you learn something, you then got to practice it. He wrote a little JavaScript problem generator. So if, if you need like, uh, you know, 20 problems that will allow you to test out whether you understand the latest lesson, this JavaScript program ge uh, problem generator would, would generate them for them, and they, then they could keep practicing on the problems. Now, he ended up putting this, and he says, well, you know, he, he did not make the YouTube channel private. He just made it public because if, he figured, I don't care if anybody looks at these math tutorials. I mean, I, he, he didn't think much, much and much, many people would look at him except his relatives. But what happened was people discovered them on YouTube. They showed up on the searches. They discovered them. And in the first two or three years where he was doing this tutoring of his relatives, his tutorials were viewed 458 million times. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of people it, stumbling onto you. Yeah, it turned out and I've watched his videos. It turns out he is an excellent teacher, and he gets at the heart of the problem. And uh, so he's what he does. He um, he actually each lesson is around ten minutes long, and he goes right to the heart of the matter. You know, you know, there's nothing worse than going and listening to like a one-hour lecture and having the teacher just drone on. So what he yeah. does, he breaks it up into little nuggets. 
and you've got to look at this one little thing, and he, and he gives it in 10 minutes, gives you examples of it, gets you problems. And then you can, you can, you can get another 10-minute nugget at, at a later time. And that format exactly matched kind of the, the attention span of the kids he was teaching. So it was really very popular. So what happened then, remember his, uh, his company went belly up in 2008. So he uh, was, you know, looking around for another hedge fund job. Um, he did have that little nest egg because he got a million dollars. But he was looking for a hedge fund job. And he said, wait a minute here. Why don't I just forget about the hedge fund deal? And why don't I spend full time making educational videos? Because look how many people are watching this thing already. And so he did not look for another hedge fund job. And he started making videos full time. And he, and he, um, he recruited a friend, a close friend of his, Josh Geffner. And they, um, and they started doing, doing the videos. Now I saw the, you know, I looked at a, at the, you know, a picture of where he did the original videos. It basically, he set up his computer. It was like in a little closet and he was doing all these initial videos sitting in a closet. Um, and it was a, it was a good enough studio for that. So in the end, uh, you know, in his little closet at home, he produced around 2,800 videos and they mostly focused on math and sciences and uh, but then once he got the Khan Academy started, uh, there was so much interest in it. He was able to raise money. He made it a nonprofit. And uh, the first money that he got, because remember, he, he didn't have a job because right. he didn't take yeah. that job. He, he got a funding by uh, by the wife of John Doerr. Now, John Doerr is one of the big Silicon Valley investors and his wife uh, liked it because her kids were using it. So he got sponsorship from Andor. She was one of the first uh, first people to actually uh, actually fund it, and she was in the Silicon Valley circle of friends. And so so you know he was he was kind of uh, you know he he became known. In two thousand and nine, he got uh, money uh, from Microsoft. It was called a Microsoft Technology Award for Education. In two thousand and ten, Google gave him two million dollars to create more courses and to enable the Khan Academy to translate their core library into other languages. Now in 2011, Salman Khan was invited to give a TED talk by Bill Gates. And this was a great TED talk. I, I, I just love watching this TED talk. It turns out that Bill Gates's kids used, uh, used the, the Khan Academy to learn math. See, they didn't want to ask dad, you know, simple math questions. Mm -hmm. And they were much happier going to the Khan Academy and getting it by YouTube. <laughs> and Bill Gates was impressed at how well his children were learning. And so he, um, so Bill Gates invited him to, to give a TED Talk because Bill Gates thought this is the face of the new education. Now, uh, Shortly thereafter, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation pledged around one and a half million dollars to the Khan Academy. Now, Khan published a book about the Khan Academy and its educational goals titled The One World Schoolhouse, Education Reimagined. This was kind of the, the topic of his TED Talk, and it's really good. This, so the, the Khan Academy is used by teachers to flip the classroom. So um, if, they, if, if they have a lesson uh, that they want to study, they, they have the students watch the tutorials on the Khan Academy. And, um, 
and then they the next day the students can you know can ask questions and work on problems. And the nice thing, the way the Khan Academy is organized, they allow the teacher to be on there as a mentor, so the teacher can track her students. The teacher can see how many how many lessons the students have watched, and then the students get um, you know they get problems to practice after a lesson, and the teacher can see how many of the problems are getting right, how many they're getting wrong, which ones. Which ones are getting wrong? And so she can look at the class's performance in, 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 in the Khan Academy and, and doing the homework, and then she can decide what she's going to teach in class the next day based on the problems that they, they were having trouble with. So this has become an extremely effective way for flipping the classroom. Now, they, they added that coach feature for, for teachers in 2012. Now, in 2014, Khan received the annual Heights Award in Human Condition, from the uh, from the Heights Foundation, Heinz Foundation, in 2020, uh, by 2020, Khan Academy videos on YouTube had been viewed more than 1.7 billion wow. times. And all this is free. All of these online services are free, right? It's all free. Yeah. Now he's married to a Pakistani physician. They they live in Mountain View, California. This is an example of how the internet's transforming society. Now the reason I brought this up. We got all these schools that are shut down yep. and parents are beside themselves. I'm telling you, the Khan Academy is a resource. Now they've extended beyond the beyond simply uh, simply math and science. They've started adding some humanities and other things. So you can go to the Khan. I, I, I logged on this morning before I went out to fish because I just wanted to reacquaint myself. I had an account there. I wanted to reacquaint myself with mm -hmm. the uh, with the site, and it's. Uh, it's really nice to use. They have badges, so you can get badges if if you if you watch so many videos. If you watch a lot of videos, you can get like energy badges because you're a high energy learner. So they've made it actually. They've 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 gamified it. They've That's made great. it kind of fun. That's great. And it's it's a great resource. So you as parents, I think you ought to get your kids on the Khan Academy. They they you know. Even young kids can do it because they, they 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 cover all elementary school levels. They they got out. They started out doing elementary school, then they did high school. Now they do AP. They got AP calculus, AP statistics. So they got they got advanced placement courses in there. They also have. They're also mapping out and ramping up into some college classes. So you just pick your level, and you'll see what courses are available. So there you go. Everything you need to know about Salman Khan and the Khan Academy. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, now southwest of D.C. at 1077 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County, you can hear us at 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. You were just soaking in the applause there, weren't you? Oh, I just love it, you know. If, if I had a way to ship rockfish, I'd, maybe I should give out rockfish as the prize to the... Uh, for the um, the quiz, as you know, this I, is I'd a freeze class it first. for the airways. Freeze it or make Not fish jerky. Simply a radio show. Yes. And we want to test whether you've been listening. And we have a pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get two tickets to fine dining at one of our restaurants. If we can ever open them with the pandemic, and of course, you'll get an A plus for today's show. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about Salman Khan. He, of course, is founder of the Khan Academy a free online educational platform. What prompted Salman Khan to start the Khan Academy? If you know the answer to today's question, put down that drumstick, give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If your jet ski is beached on a pile of oyster shells and fish scales east of Playa del Church, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're looking for your nearest Khan Academy in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. Sanitize with off-brand 14% alcohol wipes, 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Let's talk about that Facebook privacy settlement. I'm glad that somebody's finally bringing Facebook a little bit into tow. Mm -hmm. Illinois Facebook users can now claim their share of a $650 million class action settlement over the alleged violation of the state's biometric privacy law. Nearly 1.4 million people have already filed a claim, and you've got a you know you got a you got a short time now to. To, to keep filing. That means the expected payout is going to be about $400 each person. 
which is which is not really bad, according no. to the Chicago attorney Jay Edelson. Now, in Jay Edelson filed this uh, lawsuit in April of 2015 in the Cook County Circuit Court on behalf of a plaintiff, and he alleged that Facebook's facial tagging feature was not allowed under Illinois privacy law unless you give them permission. In January, Facebook agreed to a $550 million settlement, but Judge Donato denied that, and so they finally upped the ante to $650 million, and the judge approved it. As part of the settlement, Facebook agreed to set its face recognition default settings to off so that you, you won't automatically uh, recognize the face. Now, and I recommend that you just turn it off in your Facebook account. Go to face recognition and turn it off. What happens if it's on, uh, they'll recognize your face. And if somebody posts a picture uh, somewhere else on Facebook that's not even related to you, the face recognition is going to link you to that photo. And you, you just you just don't want to have your ID everywhere, all over the place. So I, I think face recognition is a massive violation of privacy, and I recommend that you turn it off. Very good. All right. I think we've got somebody who'd like to play the game. Okay. Hang on a second. Andrew is rushing me the information here right now. We are going to go to line one. This is MC calling us from Silver Spring. MC, you there, sir? Yes, yes. This is MC, the Ralph and Silver Spring. Okay. Very good. Dr. Schertz, go ahead and ask yes, a question, earlier please. in the show, I talked about Salman Khan, the founder of the Khan Academy. What prompted him to start the Khan Academy? His cousin, Nadia, preferred uh, on-demand courses. There on you go. On-demand lessons on YouTube. There you go. Excellent job, MC. Thank you so much. Hang on a second. We'll send you back to Andrew. We'll send that prize out to you. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. This is Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and southwest of D.C. now 1077 FM HD 2. Loudoun County, listen to us on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Observations from the bunker. I 
think one of the rockfish got caught in the door when you closed it. It, it might have. Yeah, rockfish might have. pate. Today I want to talk about Socrates. Yes, please. I started thinking about Socrates. Uh, he actually is kind of a man of our times now. He was engaged in a culture war that's similar to what we're having now in the United States. And, uh, you know, he was condemned to death because of his views on consumerism and uh, and uh, and he was actually tried in the media actually the the rumor mill uh, before the trial even occurred now he went around the streets of Athens philosophizing you know he taught without charge he appealed to the youth he actually appealed to almost everybody he was very engaging uh, he he asked fundamental questions of existence. What makes us happy? What is, makes us good? What is virtue? What is love? How should we live our lives? And these are things that people really wanted to consider. But what happened was uh, when, when Socrates was around, you know, in his 70s, the um, Athens suffered horrible setbacks. I mean, you know, they were actually, this was, this was during the time that Rome was rising and Athens was falling. Um, Athens uh, suffered uh, many foreign and civil wars. They lost many foreign and civil wars. The economy crashed year in and year out. Men came home dead from the battles. Population was starving. The political landscape was pretty much turned upside down. Athens had fought many, many debilitating wars under the banner of democracy. The Peloponnesian War against Sparta kept going on and on and on and on. And people said, hey, this is a war without a cause. Why, why don't we just get out of there? Sounds like a little like uh, like a little uh, like Iraq and Afghanistan in, in current days. Um, Socrates was worried about uh, the fact that he was always a believer in face to face discussion. He felt if he had a face to face discussion, you could actually achieve something. But what was ha happening? Um, we they were no longer having face-to-face -face discussions, things, and they were like the you know newspapers or the press would would write things. People would have rumors about things, and he felt that words alone could be manipulated, particularly when disseminated in a in a vast market in a mass market. And he hated to hear the politicians talk because the politicians had beautiful words, but they were all false, and it, they all talked an ideology, but but you just couldn't believe them. He felt society was crashing down because people were not communicating directly and because the government was not being truthful. And his, his uh, beliefs began to stir people up. So they said they, they actually charged him with, uh, with insurrection. They charged him with corrupting the young and uh, disrespecting the city's gods. He was found guilty and sentenced to state-sponsored suicide. Now, at the time, state-sponsored suicide. That's an interesting yeah. idea. State-sponsored. What they do? They put him in his jail cell and they put a cup of hemlock in the cell. That's with what him. I thought. Yeah. And then, and then his job is to drink it and go to sleep. For good. <laughs> that that's it. But he he actually was in a cave where that where I did it. I I was in a, I was in the old marketplace right off the Acropolis where he was sentenced to death. I stood there, and I could look up in the hills to see w w where the caves were where mm. he actually drank it. Drank the hemlock. What a way to go! Now, um, it it turned out that Athens was going through a major transition. They were trying to figure out the true role of democracy and how it should play out in human society. There was kind of a uh, 
a, a, a battle between democracy and aristocracy, you know, rule by the elite class. And they, and they were playing that out in the streets. Also, they were debating over freedom of speech. So the, the, the questions they were debating, how free are you to say what you want and when does it imp impede on someone else because you offend them? How far does freedom of speech go before you, um, you know, uh, step on someone else's rights because you are offending them? So these were being debated on the streets of Athens, you know, 400 BC. Uh -huh. And this sounds just like the debates we're having to, in today. Yeah, now, exactly. He stood up in front of his, uh, his fellow citizens at his court trial. It was uh, at the Athenian Agora. By the way, uh, Agon, Agon is when, they, when the politicians basically have debates, they would do it, they would call it Agon, A-G-O-N, that's the Greek word. Mm -hmm. uh, that is the root word of agony <laughs> really? in our language. Jeez. It sort of makes sense. It's a, it does, a political debate. So at his trial, he said, it is not my crimes that will convict me, but instead rumor. Gossip will persuade you that I'm guilty. He had one of the first documented trial by media, and it had a horrible effect. So I think we should go back and look at some of the words of Socrates, because I think what he said 400 B.C. is going to have relevance to today. You think it might uh, um, calm down the rhetoric? Is that what you're hoping for? Yeah, that's what I would hope for. Absolutely. Calm down the rhetoric and have a little bit more fact in it. And I think Civility. we should uh, not just talk. We should also listen yeah, and engage yeah. in critical critical thinking yep. and negotiating to yes. Well, Face Windows is celebrating their 35th anniversary. Microsoft launched the first, first version of Windows November 20th, 1985. And it was to succeed Microsoft DOS which was basically a, 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 a non-graphic, it was not a, a graphical user interface. You basically just had a prompt and you type commands. Now, Windows 10 doesn't look anything like Windows 1 did, but it still has many of the original features like a scroll bar, drop-down menus, icons, dialog boxes. It has apps like Notepad and Microsoft Paint. Windows 1 also sets, set the stage for using the mouse. Now, back in 1985, Windows 1 required uh, two floppy disks, <laughs> not even a hard drive, <laughs> right. 256 kilobytes of memory and a graphics card. Now, if you wanted to run multiple programs, you needed a PC with a hard disk and 512 kilobytes of memory. Bill Gates himself headed up the operating system development team, uh, and they shipped their first graphical user interface PC and using Windows um, it, it, on top. It, was, it sat on top of Microsoft DOS, and it was in a 16-bit shell. It was just a 16-bit operating system. Now, despite all of the advertising by Macintosh of Mac versus PC, it turns out Windows it just basically dominates the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Now, we've been through a lot of different versions of Windows, okay? Windows 1 was 1985. Windows 2 was 1987. Windows 3 was 1990. 
My first Windows was Windows 3.1. I think that was the first one that was actually usable. Then Windows NT came out in 95. That's called Windows New Technology. That was basically for business. It was, a, it was a, basically a, a new operating system for the ground up for, for business applications. Windows 95 came out in 1995, as you would expect. Mm -hmm. and, that, and when they went to Windows 95, they switched to a 32-bit operating system. They went from 16 to 32 bits. That was, that was a big shift. I mean, Mac had been running 32-bit operating systems for a long time before Windows went to it. Windows 98 came out in 1998. Then they had Windows Millennial. Windows ME came out in 2000. That was a dog. I did not <laughs> I get remember Windows that. ME. I, I stuck with Windows 98. Then they had Windows 2000 for business. That was basically an update of Windows NT. Then they came out with Windows XP, which I, I loved XP. I, I used XP for a long time. They came out with that came out in 2001. They came out with Windows Vista in 2007. That was a dog, Windows Vista. Yep. yep. Windows 7 came out in 2009. I liked Windows 7. So, I sort of went Windows 3.1, Windows 95, Windows 98, Windows XP, and Windows 7. <clears throat> and I skipped some of the dogs in between. Windows 8 came out in 2012. That was a dog. <laughs> and in 2015, Windows 10 came out, and they're still on Windows 10. It hasn't changed dramatically over five years. They just keep updating it. So there you go, the whole rundown of 35 years of Windows. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Check us out on the web and say that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.